Hi, my name is Constance. I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tony, for asking me to come speak. Uh, great to be here. I used to go to this meeting very regularly, but then um, I have other some classes I take on Saturday, so I usually can't. It's not really a regular meeting of mine anymore, but um, I love the format here, and especially when I'm the speaker, because when I get to it, I talk all the time. <laughs> and uh, so I will tell you, uh, start with what it was like, and I'm going to start with when I first remember compulsively overeating, I was a little kid, like, I don't know, however old you can be, that you can open the refrigerator door yourself. And I would open the refrigerator door, and I was allergic to a couple of foods, and I would use the door as a shield and then just shovel those foods in my mouth. And I had, like, rash, results for rashes, um, and I, I was okay with the consequences, even though I'm pretty sure I was too little to realize that that was a direct result, but it didn't stop me. And... Uh, I I just had to eat it. And what I know now, for me, is that I was eating to push down all my feelings, all my feelings that I couldn't handle because I was just a little girl and my feelings were way too big for a little kid alone. And what happened, I feel, is that that specific kernel just stayed with me my entire life until I got to Overeaters Anonymous. And the first meeting I went to, I heard a woman who looked nothing like I thought she would have anything to say that would have anything to do with me because I was so externally judgmental. And the first thing, at least the, almost the only thing I remember hearing was, she said, I ate over my feelings and I almost fell off my chair because I had been in therapy for like 10 years. And therapy's great. You have a good therapist. Uh, but I never dealt with that. I would just sort of automatically go into a session and feel good if I was thinner and horrible if I had been on the weight gain or anything. And I am a binger, purger, starver. I always, I like to say I'm a failed anorexic to kind of put some light in it because I just never felt like I could get thin enough. I was down to like, I think 102 and I was trying for like, the 90s. I thought it would be great to be in the 90s. I'm like almost five six, And that was my idea. And then someone suggested I stop smoking because I was thin and you, you gain a few pounds if you stop smoking. So, you know, this would be a good time for me. To, because all I did was smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. I was not eating. Like maybe once a day. And because I had to be thin because that was going to fix my life. So I liked her idea and just decided, okay, every time I want a cigarette, I'll just have a candy bar. And I like it six weeks, then 30 pounds. And anyway, so that's like kind of how my dance went, you know, low as low as I could get. And then as soon as I could look in the mirror and go, oh, phew, this is what I want. I was overcome with an overwhelming, uncontrollable force that got me into the food and I couldn't stop until I was so horrified. I was like, okay, this is it. And then I would do starvation diet. Like, and also like, I'm not one that likes to follow rules. So I couldn't follow normal, quote unquote, normal diets. Not that I think diets work very well, but 
I couldn't even follow a diet because I looked at all the places where I thought, oh, I can't eat that. I can't eat that, so I would design my own. And um, it was just, if you can't get the gist yet, it was day and night, every day, every week, every month, complete obsession with food and body. And uh, I, you know, it was so. Now I look back at it now. It's kind of funny um, to me, but sad. Like there were four kids in my family, and my mom, my dad wasn't living with us. And uh, when I was, you know, old enough to do chores, which started pretty young, I suppose. Anyway, but. Um, one of them was clearing the table, and I always volunteer to clear the table. Why? Everyone knows that I could be alone in the kitchen and shovel all the leftovers in. And then, like, my mom would go in the kitchen later and she goes, Oh, I didn't realize we ate all of that stew. You know, and I just topped it off. I just had it. I couldn't stop. And, um, so, well, I could stop for short periods of time, like when I was smoking cigarettes and drinking a lot of coffee, but that's not the most healthy diet or healthy food plan in the world. <laughs> and um, so I'm sure there's more I could say, but pretty much my goal weight was my birth weight. And so <laughs> it was a pretty tough number to get to. And really how I felt was, if I get down to the weight and size that my two older sisters were, then they would love me, then I would feel good about myself on the inside. And I just had a disease. Part of it, a big part of it is my thinking. Like, that thinking alone is insane. Right? That's cuckoo. That's like a belief I had for most of all of my life until I got here that turned out to be a false belief. And what happened with me as I got here was I started analyzing and having just revelations that all of these beliefs that I have had my entire life about myself, about food, about other people, about the world, about my parents, about my sisters, about my brother, whatever, they were my interpretation from usually the pain I had been in way before. So, but that's the insight. My beliefs started changing. And... You know, like I've heard these things where, you know, people who listen to our program is like, well, you get brainwashed. And I'm like, good, my brain needs watching. It's really messed up because I created or adapted to all of these ways of thinking, feeling, believing based on all this trauma I had as a kid. Um, that's, you know, that's what I did. That was my survival mode. And what I heard at one time in OA was, um, a guy was speaking and he said, you know, I used to have a set of tools that worked for me back then, and then they got old and rusty until I had to find new tools. And my new tools are the tools of our 12-step fellowship program. So anyway, uh, when I got here, um, I guess what threw, you know, threw me under the bus, luckily, because, you know, we talk about hitting a bottom, and I hit a bottom many times. I just did not have the solution. So I hit a bottom and then, like, crawled my way up until I got another bottom, and it just kept going like that. But I heard about OA. I was totally reluctant to go. First of all, because this woman who 12 stepped me, my Eskimo, said it was a, called compulsive 
you know, is for overeaters and not overeaters and compulsive overeating. And I heard the word compulsive and I heard the word over and I felt all this shame and resistance and basically horror and I thought, oh, I'm not going there. And then she said something, described what she had as bulimia and I'm like, oh yeah, I have that. So, you know, that's pretty wacky thinking. Like, oh, I'm fine saying I'm a bulimic, but compulsive overeater? No way. That doesn't sound good. Um, so, you know, that's not hip and cool. So it took me a while, a number of months, to get the courage to come to a meeting, but what had happened before was that um, I, I had moved out here a few months before, and my mom came to visit, and I was staying with her and my brother at his apartment, and I had so much anxiety and fear and mixed feelings like love and hate for my mom, and so many like unknown resentments just totally boiling up in me like I really went on a big run and you know I would do things like tell my mom like we were eating all day eating chips and beer and just eating and eating and just snacking and food and then we got meals and so at the end of this one dinner I said okay I'm going to go out for a walk now but I wasn't going out for a walk I was going like four doors down to the ice cream store like, I was in my 30s, and I could not even admit that I was going to get ice cream because I was so ashamed, and also, I don't want anyone coming with me because this is my drug, and you're not touching it. You're not coming anywhere near me. And what I was doing at the time was, because I was just gaining a lot of weight was not an option for me. I already was, like, too humiliated over myself. So I would ride my bicycle from Westwood to West Hollywood every morning with weights on my ankles and go to an hour exercise class, keep the weights on my ankles, and then ride back. And I would wake up in the morning and punch myself when I realized, oh my God, another day and how I ate, oh my God, I just punched myself. So I had this lovely, that was like August, so I had this wonderful little voice that came to me out of nowhere, out of God, I guess, that said it was like November, coming up with, you know, Thanksgiving, uh, you know, then that was the holiday about food. Now it's the holiday about gratitude and it's just another Thursday. Thank you, God, for always. It's just another Thursday. I love that. And I thought, I am not going to get through another holiday season alone. That's what it said. And I got to meet him. And it's, you know, been changing my life ever since. And that was November 1987, and I've been absent since January 8th, 1988. And um, the way I got absent was I was, of course, doing it all alone for those first six weeks, because, you know, I couldn't talk to anyone about my food. And then I binged. Out of, I know now it was out of loneliness because I had a friend come visit and she left and I was, ah, I'm all alone. So I, I binged and um, I didn't think I binged. I was hoping it wasn't a binge. It was a box of cookies. I mean, they were sugar-free. Oh so I called the Eskimo and I told her what happened. And she said, I was sure she was going to say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. She said, yeah, that's a binge. 
like, okay, what's your, when was the, when was that? And it was like a few days before. And it might have been January 7th, that was my absence date, but I added on a day. I'm not sure, just to make sure. So I just say January 8th. And she said the most brilliant thing to me I had ever heard in my life, which was, <clears throat> she asked me what my afternoons was, and I was like, vague. I'm like, I don't know, because I break things. And, and she said, well, if you don't know what your afternoons is, it's really tough to stay abstinent. And that just blew my mind. So we made a clear abstinence for myself, which is no binging, no starving, no protein, no uh, sugar, and uh, three healthy meals a day, and I can have one or two if I need it, like small, one portion snack a day. Um, like half an apple, or even a whole apple, but or, I don't know, just anything like that. Just, that's pretty much lately all I have in snacks, if I have it. And I eat three healthy meals a day. Uh, I often eat the same thing every day, pretty much. Uh, it's just easier for me, and it's safe. And what I do is I bring my breakfast and lunch to work. I prepare it the day or weekend or night before. I don't have to think about it. I don't like the idea of being at work, suddenly I'm hungry and I have to go forage for food. That, like, sets me off. So I have structure and I have guidance. And I have worked the steps with a sponsor. I've had the same sponsor for, like, 24 years. I had another sponsor before who was also amazing and wonderful. And I pretty much left her out of fear. Um... Five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Huh? Okay. Uh, and let's see, I'll say about the steps. I had worked step one, two, and three with someone who I didn't trust. And it got to the book because she had, I raised my hand at, at the Sunday morning meeting and said, um, I, I don't have a sponsor because I'm looking for the perfect sponsor. But I knew who I wanted as my sponsor. I was just too afraid to ask her because she was like so much better than me. But that was the world, right? You're either better than or you're less than. But most people were better than. And um, so she came up, this other woman came up to me at the end of the meeting and said, I will be your temporary sponsor until you find the perfect sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I wanted to say, no, you scared me. You're reminded my sister. And I went, <laughs> and I said, okay. You know, that people please are, okay. So I worked the first three steps with her, and it was really brilliant. At the third step, there's a portion where it says, you know, now we launched on a business of house cleaning, and we do this with a trusted sponsor or whatever. And she said, and that's me. And I thought, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> and so I knew it was time for me to actually set up the courage to ask this other woman to sponsor me. But anyway, so then I went to this other woman who I loved and trusted, and, I, and she said, okay, we're going to start on step one. And I said, well, I've already done one, two, and three, and I'm the kind of person that just keeps going back and back. I need to just go forward. She said, okay, well, try it your way. And so I started on step four, and I called her up and said, um, I'm working on step four, but I cannot stop eating. And she said, okay. She's so loving. She said, Put your paper down, and I'm going to give you some questions, and you can work on those. And so we started step one. And mm-hmm. I did it her way, and I did it much more thoroughly with someone I trusted. And then I was ready after step three and being able to have a, a 
more secure and defined sense of my higher power and turning everything over, I was able to do step four without food and progress. Um, so I will say like what it's like today um, and what it's been like in all of these years. I have three healthy meals a day and a sober, healthy life in between. And you know, I feel like sometimes, or maybe all the time, I eat over my feelings, but it's only three times a day. And when I'm finished with the food, when there's like the last sip of my smoothie in the morning, you know, gets down to there, or my, you know, bowl is getting low, I start getting depressed and sad. Oh no, my best friend is leaving me. And then I can tell myself lovingly and kindly, okay, thanks. Uh, right, but you can eat again at the next meal. Okay, I can go with that. And that's, you know, and I come from the person who physically would punch herself over what she ate to someone who's been working for a really long time on, I mean, I am only 28, by the way, but I've been working on it for a really long time on learning how to be gentle, kind, loving, non-judgmental, non-critical, non-hateful, and accepting of myself. And believe me, it's not 100%. Um, I'm definitely someone who came in here with no self-esteem, and then I graduated to low self-esteem. <laughs> Thank you. And then, and then I moved on to having some self-esteem. I was in, I've been in multiple programs, and another program I was in, I will just say that I mentioned it because I heard these women sharing and I looked around at them. They're, to me, they were all beautiful and successful, everything I wasn't. And I looked at them and said, there's something they have that just gets on my nerves. What is it? And eventually I realized, oh, I mean, way eventually later, oh, they have dignity. And I was like, years later, I was like, oh, yeah, I want one of that. They had dignity regarding themselves and their self-worth and men, and I had none. And so, you know, I have progressed on every single level that there could be in life. And, um, you know, a, a month or so ago, I was speaking at another meeting, and before I went in, I thought, okay, you know, what am I going to do? What am I, you know, I don't, sometimes I put, you know, practice in my head, and then I remind myself, it's you, it's your story, you love to talk, just start talking. And um, I decided before I started speaking that I was going to emphasize the positive because I can go on a run of like everything. I can tell you everything in my life that's not right, that's not working, why I'm a failure, why I've ruined my life, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just decided that I would come from a place of all the things that I had achieved because of that program. I just did a long list and it felt really good and everyone really loved it. And um, maybe I can do a little bit here. I, I'm pretty sure you could tell just by my demeanor and energy, like I'm not depressed anymore. I do sometimes get depressed, but I don't walk around being like, oh, woe is me, life sucks and then you die, which I actually heard from a 
guy was dating who went to Harvard, and I thought, well, he went to Harvard. He must know something. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that slogan, and I, you know, ran with it for years. Um, and, you know, darkness was my life. And then, like, I was listening to a Tom Waits song the other day. Or no, Leonard Cohen song the other day, right? And it brought back all of this intense feeling. And I, I love, you know, and when I was younger, I loved listening to him over and over and over and over again. And I realized yesterday, I thought, oh, what is that? Well, that was sadness. But I didn't know that. I just thought I was relating and it was so brilliant and cool and the music was so great. I was extraordinarily sad and frightened um, and I had no tools. And so, you know, I didn't come here to change the inside. I, I really came here just to stop binging and I was like so afraid of what you would all think of me, like I was afraid I'd be too thin for people who were trying to lose weight and too heavy for people who felt they were underweight. So I came in with a sweatshirt around my waist because I always thought my hips were too big. And I just wanted to cover all bases, you know? And I was so afraid someone would say something. And someone did. Like, someone said to another woman pointing at me, we were all at the literature table, my first meeting said, what's she doing here? And it was my worst fear. And because um, kind of that's what I got my whole life. Well, we don't want you. What are you doing here? Get out. You know, we don't like you or whatever. And the woman, it, like she saved me, it was brilliant. She just said, you know, we're all here for our own personal reasons. It's not about the weight. It's not about the numbers. It's about the disease of compulsive overeating. And, you know, that started with Bill W. from our, you know, the AA Big Book. If it was about the number of drinks one had, I wouldn't have been able to get and stay sober for the same amount of time. And that's just like a, okay, like my PS is, I found that I could not continue drinking and stay abstinent. So I rolled them into one. And so that is my time, and thank you for listening. Okay, uh, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own, and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. And if being recorded, I guess I am. Please remember, or we are, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast, so disguise it properly. <laughs> it's, oh, so I will restate the question after it's asked, so hopefully you won't make it too complicated for me. Mm-hmm. Who would like to ask a question? Oh, yes. Thanks. Um, can you talk about your process of making amends, and particularly your family? Yes. Can I talk about my process of making amends, particularly with my family? Well, you have three hours. Uh, I, the first thing I will say is that I was taught that I do not make amends for having been abused. That's not my part. I was a child. I, uh, I was a victim. 
because I have no power, and uh, so I do not make amends for being abused. I, I make amends for behaviors, not for feelings or thoughts, but for behaviors that I did that harmed others, or seemed that I harmed others. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't make amends to people who harm me. Um, and I'm actually uh, in this big book study right now. We're going. I've never done this before. We're going basically line by line through the big book. We're on step four right now. Um, but anyway, uh, I had a really hard time because we got to this. We're doing it by the columns, and we got to the part where my part and some of it I don't believe I have a part and. The person that's leading it, I think, may beg to differ, but I have a part in how I lived my life after that. You know, like, for example, because of my, what happened with, in my family, I became extremely afraid of people. So I avoid a lot of situations that would be great for me because of my fear of people. So that's, that's my part. I gotta work on that. Um, so, making amends. I made amends to one of my sisters. She didn't know what I was doing, but I basically, you know, I, and what I said was, I apologize for all the years as an adult that I wanted you to be responsible for me and take care of me. That wasn't your responsibility. That was an apology. I personally don't, as a kid, I was a good kid. I was a loving kid. I had a big heart. And... I didn't, wasn't the type of person that went around lashing out at people. There was one kid at camp who I was horrible with, and before programs, I was lucky enough, somewhere in my 20s, I think, I bumped into him somewhere, and I just felt so horrible. Like, I helped to gang up on her, and I felt so horrible, and I apologized to her, and... Um, you know, and she was trying to, like, dismiss it and say, no, she deserved it. And I was like, no, I just did it. You know, so I I don't believe I was in program yet. I'm pretty sure I wasn't, but I, I just did that one. And thank God, because I've never seen her again. So, you know, I do the amends for myself to clean up my part so that I can have a clean, healthy relationship with myself, you, and my higher power. Um, oh, my God, my dad... I don't know, that's really intense because I had, I had, we had not seen each other for many years and then we'd get back together and then it would go away and, and it was like, I didn't see him for 10 years at a time. And so I feel like my amends to him, I would do it differently today if he were alive, but at the time my amends was to be open and loving and talk to him about everything that I had experienced that I hadn't the courage to talk to him about then. And, like, I'll give you a great example. Like, I was 14, and I was going to visit him, and I guess we were going to visit my grandparents, his parents, and I had jeans on, and he said, don't ever wear jeans again, something like that. And I felt so ashamed, but I never even thought of asking why, because I was so, like, afraid. And so in my 30s, I asked him, and he said, 
Oh my God, I remember it because I was so afraid your grandparents were so critical of me, I didn't want to hear it from them. It had nothing to do with me. All those years, I was mad at It had nothing to do with me. Yeah, and so we had this healing. And then some other bad stuff happened, and then we lost track of, well, we each didn't call each other, and then when I wanted to contact him again, he had passed away, and no one had told me because his wife just left him a very kind, lovely person. Uh, and I, like, I'm still getting over it. That was, like, I found out in 06, he passed away in 03. So, like, it taught, you know, it taught me, make your men, you know, not to wait. Um, you know, I did the best I could. I wasn't ready until I was ready. And then it was too late. And, like, how do I forgive myself over that? It's hard. I'm still working on it. Um, so, and my mom, it's so funny, last year when I was in New York, um, when I was a kid, I stole some money out of a wallet. And other people were doing it, too, in much higher amounts. And when I would see what they were doing, I felt so badly I stopped. Because she was always flipping out about not having enough money, and she'd be like, I thought I had a twin. Where did you go? What happened? Where? And she was already neurotic and freaked out, and she would just flip out. And I, like, I would take five, and I was so afraid. So last year, I had the courage to say, tell her about it. And she said, you're over my part, and you know I wanted to tell her what my sister said. <laughs> you know I wanted to start with that. I just only told her my part. And I said, so I want to give you, like, $25. And she said, okay. And I said, Mom, really? I think I need to give you 50. And she's like, no, stop it. This is ridiculous. You know, and she just went off on the kid, you know. But I, whatever. So I worked that out with her, and I actually paid for something that was 25 bucks for her, but whatever. So, you know, it's more about me coming clean. And um, I, my sister, that was my main abuser. I don't feel I owe her an amends. I, I tried in recovery to be friends with her, and she We've had a little bit, like, we'll talk if I'm in New York or she'll see me, but she's not interested. And I can't run to a dry well for water. People in my family, you know, don't see me as a lot of people in recovery see me. So I, I can't keep begging for friendship. And that's a huge amends to myself because I've done that with men, with women, friends, quote-unquote, Partners, usually psycho partners, <laughs> and you know why doesn't he like me? He's mentally ill, and then, <laughs> and you weren't right for him to begin with. You can do better than that if you had an ounce of self-esteem. That's why. <laughs> so that's my one. Do I have any time left for others? Sorry, I went on so much. Oh yeah, who else would like to get a long-winded answer? Yes, thank you. I knew someone would ask that. Um, uh, talk about finding my higher power. Well, I will say, uh, in the beginning, in 3000 BC, um, no, as a little kid, I just saw this this morning. I used to pray for. Uh, like my sister and my family, you know, I, I did do like on my knees and I was so embarrassed because I thought, I'm Jewish and if anyone saw me, they'd think I was pretending to be Christian. I mean, I had so much fear. I was all alone and I was so afraid, but that's what I would do. And so I had that little bit, but basically what it evolved to over the years was 
God, if you just help me get off this toilet, I will never use those laxatives again. I swear, I swear, please don't let me die on this toilet in both magazines. Please, please, please. I can't be that humiliated. And then, of course, I'll go back and do it again. So that was, you know, my concept of God was, help me, help me, just this one time, and I'll never do it again. And so when I got here and started working the steps with the first person, we did one, two, and three, I was to come up with a concept of a, a higher power, power greater than myself. And my first image was like, I loved like acrobats and the aerialists and those, you know, I wanted to be that, those women, they were so pretty and thin and flexible and flying in the air. And they always had that big safety net. And so I had this image that my higher power was a big, huge safety net that was just going to save me and catch me no matter what. And, uh, and then it expanded, and there's a lot of times where I've had a higher power as a punishing God, and I've had to, you know, work on that. But that's kind of, I just had a seed where it started. And, and I say now I want to have my higher power be what I remember love and kindness and joy and expansion and it's safe in trying new things. I've got you back, you're back. I've got you covered. You're, you're a beautiful, loving child, divine child of the universe, as is everyone. And, you know, when I can be there, I'm in a good place. Uh, so it's, it's, about, it's still developing, which I love. And I, I will say, in terms of my spirituality, in the morning I get up and I read two different program books and another non-denominational, you know, for today kind of things. I read the OA for today. I've been reading it for probably 25 or so years, and it, it's just shredded, and I just don't want to let go of it. It has no cover anymore. It's falling apart, but I can still read it. I, I love it. And um, I would get a new one, but there's no more with a hardcover, and I, I want my hardcover. You know, I don't have a cover. Think of it. Maybe it's time for a new one. So I read that. I read another book on um, another healing daily reflection book on, from another program. And then I read a non-denominational piece of literature that's just about spirituality. Um, and then I read the promises in the big book because I was feeling like the promises weren't coming true for me. And so I just had this idea, okay, well, I'm going to read the promises every day. And I read another thing and another little thing, and um, and I read up another nighttime daily meditation, nightly meditation every night. And I write a I write a page. I I used to write just a journal, but now from other step work, I write five things I did I'm grateful for and five things I did well that day. And sometimes I've got a really struggle, and you know I'm grateful for flowers. I'm grateful, you know. Or what did I do well today? I called my sponsor. I, you know, I, uh, I don't know, things like that, whatever. Um, so that, and it, you know, I've been doing that for a long time now, a few years, and it, it builds. It, it builds. I, I can be more grateful and have more positive um, ideas, views of myself, because I, I was the worst, you know, and I guess that, you know, and also just like an idea of a higher power is um, writing a list of 
everything I wish I had had in my parents, like the perfect parents, and that's my perfect higher power. Yes. Yes. I think so, because I don't have my glasses on. Me either. Well, yes, uh, over the years, um, I've had the same sponsor for a very long time. Have I ever had thoughts of changing? And yes, I have. The thing, for various reasons, but the thing, some of it now is an availability factor. Um, but I, for me, I, and I'm like afraid, you know, I have still that fear of people, so I have just yet to meet anyone who, for me, seems as kind and loving and supportive and accepting um, and caring of me. Uh, so, you know, I I stick with that. And I'm sure that there are people. I just, this is like how it feels safe for me, I guess. But I, um, and I'm in other fellowships, and I, I've had sponsors in other fellowships, and I don't have any in any other fellowships now. And I would like to. It's, I think it's a lot of my still, like I, you know, I read the promises. It's still fear of people. And, um, so, I'm still, you know, I'm a work in progress, I always say. And um, as long as I'm breathing, I'm growing, I hope. Uh, so, thanks. I, that might not have been that helpful to you, but that's my experience. Anyone else? Thank you. Um, can you talk about how you bring the steps and traditions into, like, your work life? Oh, my God. Great question. How do I bring the steps and traditions into your work life? Bless you. I bring them in as if they are a huge cloak of shining armor that I cover myself in so that I can get through every day. And the funniest thing is, because when I, I worked at the same place, I hate to say it, I worked there for 20 years, and it's not like my dream job, so that's, you know, something that I can really whack myself over the head over. But, um, it's, you know, it's not my favorite place to be, and, you know, pretty much a lot of mornings, most mornings, I don't want to go there, but I want to be responsible, I want to pay my rent, I want to take care of myself as a grown-up, so I go, and I show up, and I do the best I can, and what happens is, because of the program, I'm sure not everyone, but there's like a couple hundred people in that, in my company, and mostly everyone I deal with I have a good relationship with, and everyone really likes me, and they care about me. And, well, I don't know if they care about me, that's maybe going too far, but they like me. <laughs> and, you know, I learned, like, there's this phrase that people, I have heard people use for a long time. Is that it? Okay. Um, someone asks you to do something, they go, no problem. Well, I, it's always irked me because you're starting the sentence with no and you're using the word problem. So in my interpretation, that means, well, yeah, I'll do it, but I don't want to. And that was me. And now I have, through the years, been able to completely have a transformation where I say, what can I do to help you? I'd be happy to do that. 
Oh, sure, here you go. And they'll be like, you did that so quickly. Well, happy to be of service. I just work on practicing the traditions and principles of the program, especially in my work life, because it's, you know, it's not my ideal. And I was that attitude girl. And, like, I'll give you one little example. I work for attorneys, so it's not always the easiest. Well, people aren't the easiest people to work for. I can work for cats. I can be really well working for cats. I'll just finish, I guess, with this. Like, my one attorney I work for, her husband works there also. She works from home, and she said to her one day, do you ever, like, get resistance from your your secretary of, you know, the work, you know, or that she takes a long time to get your work done? And she said, no, are you kidding? I asked her to do something. I'm not even out of the document yet. And she's, like, emailing me, can you please exit the document? You know, I'm, I, you ask me to do something, I do it. Uh, and with a smile. And that is completely, like, the 12 steps in, like, eight different programs that have helped me get <laughs> I am, a, like, multi-program person because I need all the help I can get. Thank you. <laughs>